the face of Elrond was ageless, neither old nor young, though in it was written the memory of many things both glad and sorrowful. His hair was dark as the shadows of twilight, and upon it was set a circlet of silver. His eyes were gray as a clear evening, and in them was a light like the light of the stars. Venerable he seemed as a king crowned with many winters, and yet hale as a tried warrior in the fullness of his strength. He was the lord of Rivendell, and mighty among elves and men. Hey there, cool cats. Welcome back. Welcome back or welcome to Keep On Tolkien. I'm Joel N. And I'm Danny J. And today we are here with episode 37 and we're going to talk to you guys about Elrond. Elrond. Yeah, if you didn't get from that uh, that opening excerpt there. Elrond. It's funny because I've been writing this episode for a while now and uh, I've been telling people like, uh, like people are like, oh, I gotta, you know, you want to hang out or whatever. And I'm like, no, I gotta go home and write this episode. They're like, oh, well, but what's it about? And I'm like, Elrond. And like, at least five of those people have looked at me confused, and they're like, the Scientology guy, Elrond. Is there a Scientology guy named Elrond? Elrond Hubbard. Oh, <laughs> yeah, not Elrond. Like his name, it says L. Period. Ron Hubbard. Oh, people I think see. Elrond is. Yeah. So no, I'm not writing about Elrond Hubbard. I am writing about. Elrond, and the today on Keep on Tolkien, we present to you our episode on Scientology. Scientology. That's a Patreon episode. We're going to do a Patreon episode about Scientology. It'll be great. It'll be a scary episode. Anyway, Elrond today. Who is Elrond? Let's start there. So Elrond is the most famous lore master in the Third Age in Middle-earth. Yeah, he's the founder of Rivendell. Um, Rivendell is also known as Imladris. We're going to be using Imladris and Rivendell interchangeable. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But yes, what else? He's also the half-elven son of Eärendil. He's the founder of the White Council. He's also the bearer of the elven ring, Vilia. And Elrond goes by uh, a few names and titles, uh, one of which is Peridel, which means Cinderin for half-elven. He's also known as Master Elrond, which is like his title more than a name, really. He's also the vice-regent and herald of High King Gilgalad. And uh, you've got his regularly known name, Elrond. Elrond. And that is, of course, Sindarin for Stardome. But although in a letter in 1958, Tolkien said that his name meant Elf of the Cave, because he was originally supposed to be found by Maedros and Maglor in a cave as a child, I think. Oh. During their, you know, sacking of, of the Havens or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was, I think that was in an early draft. I don't think that's how it is in canon. Right. Like he changes yeah. stuff all the time as he was going through editing. But yeah, so there is that. It could so it's it's debatable if it's Stardome or Elf of the Cave. But I like Stardome. Stardome is pretty sweet. Some other fun facts about Elrond. Um, he's got in, he's got some incredible healing capabilities. Um, it's not known whether or not that's a magical ability or just a skill that he has. But nonetheless, he's a, a well known healer. Yeah, and he may be the greatest healer of all time, possibly. Yeah, um, in the Third Age for sure. Yeah, for sure the Third Age. He also has the ability uh, of foresight, which means he can see visions of things that are far away from Rivendell. Far off in the world. Far off as in far away or far off as in the future? A little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
Um, he's also got another ability that we've kind of heard of before. He's able to enter people's minds. So he's able to do some mild mind reading. It's kind of dependent upon the host, what they're willing, what information they're willing to give up, I think, is kind of how it goes in yeah. the text. Uh, but it's a power that's called a sonwe. Yeah, that was news to me. Yeah, I'd never heard. <laughs> I've never heard of it actually having uh, like there being a word for this power. Yeah, yeah. Because we just learned about how uh, Finrod Felagund has this power. It. Yeah, he has and, his power uh, in Galadriel, Galadriel as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It allows them to interpret speech of people that they don't understand the language of. Yeah, because they can more or less just kind of read their minds and what they're trying to say. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, cool thing to have. And uh, through that, they can also uh, communicate telepathically with uh, people. Oh, amongst each other? Amongst each other, those, yeah. Those uh, that have this skill. So Elrond has sent uh, telepathic messages to both Gandalf and Galadriel in The Return of the King. Do you think they can... Oh, Galadriel, I'm sure, can probably send telepathic messages back. But do you think Gandalf can? Oh, yeah. I mean, he'll just probably ask, uh, who's the dream guy? His friend. Is it Irmo? The dream guy? The Valar. Jeez, we got to refer back to our own Valar episode. One of the Feanturi, Mandos' brother, he's in charge of dreams. Oh, I don't remember which one was dreams in charge of dreams specifically. Yeah. That guy. He's going to get his friend, that guy, to deliver messages through dreams. Yeah. So where did Elrond start? Yeah, let's kind of get to the beginning of Elrond in the Legendarium. He was born, along with his twin brother Elros, in the Havens of Syrian in the year First Age 532. Yeah, that's a good thing to note right off the bat is that he's a twin. Elrond and right. Elros. And Elros. Yeah, so something special about Elrond and Elros is that their father was Eorendil, the Mariner, uh, who is son, who is the son of Tuor and Idril from Gondolin. And uh, Elrond and Elros's mother was Elwing of Doriath. She was the daughter of Dior and granddaughter of Luthien Tenuvio. So he's got, they're both considered half-elven. Uh, yeah, which is that word, uh, the Peridel, right? That we just learned? Peridel? Yeah. Peridel, Cinderin for half elven. So another thing about Elrond and Eldro- Elros is uh, is their refugee status as young children or as young adults. Um, Elrond and his family were living in the havens of Syrian after the fall of Gondolin and Doriath, respectively. Arendil had f- uh, fled the fall of Gondolin after Melkor had attacked, and Elwing fled Doriath after the sons of Feanor had attacked Doriath in the second kinslaying. So they both ended up in those havens of Syrian. Yeah, so everyone there was all just kind of refugees from a handful of different kingdoms that had fallen. Because I think there are some people there from the fall of Nargothrond too, weren't yeah. there? Yeah, there's an, it, it's a mix of Noldor and Sindar down there. Yeah, just everyone that got displaced, displaced by uh, Melkor, basically. Yeah. And so during this second kinslaying, or excuse me, this is the third kinslaying we're talking about. During the third kinslaying, Elrond and Elros are kidnapped. Duh. Yeah, at the sacking of the Havens by the remaining sons of Feanor, they take the sons of Eärendil and Elwing. They kidnap Elros and Elrond. And so how that happened was, uh, during Elrond's youth, his father Eärendil was often out on voyages in the ship Vingulot, which is of legend, right? Well, he's out on one particular vi- uh, voyage, uh, some shit goes down with the sons of Feanor. They figure out that the Silmarils there and they come to take it. And Elwing is at home alone with her two sons when the remaining sons of Feanor, Madros Meglor and Amras, decide to attack slash and win slash steal back the Silmaril. So like we said, this is what results in the third and final kin slaying at the Havens. Uh, pretty much all the refugees that were there are killed. But on the flip side, this is also when Amras, one of the sons of Feanor, is also killed. Yeah, got one in the... <laughs> got one of them. <laughs> got one of them. 
And uh, Elrond and Elros survive more or less from the vigilance of Maedros, right? Yeah. Uh, so, well, Maedros and Maglor, they uh, intercept them, I guess you want to say. Yeah, they find them <laughs> and they're the ones that end up taking mm-hmm. them. But uh, Maglor is really their... Uh, is it Maglor? Their foster father, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after the fall of the Havens and more or less being kidnapped by Maedros and Maglor, it's thought that at this time the uh, brothers of Feanor with, or the sons of Feanor with the uh, two young brothers, it's thought that this is when they made their way to Lindon. So after the kidnapping at the Havens, Elrond and Elros were more or less raised by Maglor. Like Danny said, Maglor was... uh, basically their foster father. Uh, Maglor eventually started to feel sorry for them, and he was really fed up with the oath of Feanor and basically all of the terrible things that came from trying to fulfill that oath. Uh, Because originally, I think they were going to kill the brothers, weren't they? The Elrond and Elros? Yeah, and then uh, Maedros took pity on them. Maglor? Yeah, excuse me, Maglor. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. There was sort of I don't want to say a Stockholm syndrome that came from it, but... It's kind of a Stockholm Even syndrome. though the sons of Feanor came and slaughtered Elrond and Elros' family yeah, and like friends. Like, they came to kill your ma. Yeah, dude. and they kidnapped them, but eventually there was love that grew between the two sons, Elrond and Elros, and Maglor. Yeah, and here's a little excerpt from the Silmarillion about that. Great was the sorrow of Eorendil and Elwing for the ruin of the havens of Sirion and the captivity of their sons, and they feared that they would be slain. But it was not so, for Maglor took pity upon Elros and Elrond, and he cherished them, and love grew after between them, as little might be thought. But Maglor's heart was weary with the burden of the dreadful oath. Yeah, and uh, so Elrond actually learned... Uh, Elrond and Elros, they learned a lot, quite a bit of lore. And I imagine musical ability. Oh, yeah. From Maglor. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, of all the, of any of the old elves to hang out with to get knowledge from. Yeah, Maglor would be a dope one to hang out with. Yeah, I mean, the Sons of Feanor, they're going to probably still know a lot about, like, craft and smithing, because they're the Sons of Feanor. Right, right, right. And uh, Maglor was that really good minstrel. It's not known exactly when the brothers were finally released uh, from Maedros and Maglor's quote-unquote captivity, but uh, they were, uh, so by the end of the War of Wrath, Maglor and Maedros were again alone when they, you know, tried to steal the Summerals and they killed. Right, because at the end of the War of Wrath, yeah, the Maedros and Maglor are off on their own after they stole the Silmarils. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they, it's it's thought that they made it to Lindon by that time. So they had made it to Lindon and then they went back to try to steal the... No, I mean, excuse me, the Sons of Elrond had made it to Lindon. Oh, I see. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. So in order to understand the Half-Elven, you have to talk about the choice of the Half-Elven, which comes at the end of the First Age, right after the War of Wrath. Yeah, so at the end of the First Age, after the War of Wrath was over, they needed to straight out a few things amongst the children of Ilavatar, and that was that the uh, line of Eorendil and his wife Elring, Elwing, excuse me, had both the blood of the Eldar and the Dane. So that's where you get the term Half-Elven, because they were technically elf and manned. And, well, technically, they were also Maiar. Yeah, because Elwing has, uh, has a little Maiar in her. So technically, they were of, like, three different races. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're called the Half-Elven. Yeah, so Elwing, she's, uh, she's descended from Baron of the House of Baor, and also from Luthien, the daughter of Melian and Thingol, and Melian being Maiar. 
So there's where you get your little Meyer. And his father, Eärendil, was the son of Tuor, the house of Hador of men, and Idril of the house of Fingolfin, the elves of Gondolin. So that's where they get a little more of both their man. They yeah, they come from some pretty prestigious houses of men and elves. Yeah, you got Ma- Beor and Hador, and you've got the Sindar and the Noldor. Crazy. So, like we mentioned earlier, at the end. So at the end of the first age, the Valar gave the half elven a choice. They could either join the race of the Eldar and become immortal, or they could accept the gifts of men and eventually die and depart from Arda to no one knows where. Yeah, to who knows where. But uh, so Elrond and Elros were given this unique choice. Yeah, and also Eärendil and Elwing had the choice as well. So Elwing chose to be uh, one of the Eldar and live forever. And Eärendil, though his heart was more uh, with his father's kin, the Adain, he chose to be immortal for the sake of Elwing because he loved her so much. As for their sons, Elros chose to accept the gift of death and remain one of the Adain. He actually went on to become the first king of Numenor, Tar Miniatur. And all of his descendants are actually the Dunedain and a lot of the kings that we get from the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor, right? Oh, yeah. All the Dun- yeah, all his descendants are known as the Dunedain. And they are bigger and hardier than uh, the men of Middle-earth. They have longer lifespans, almost three times that of uh, regular men. And uh, also, they never get sick. But let's talk about our guy, Elrond. He chose to be as of the Eldar. And he remained in Lindon with Gilgalad and Círdan. Círdan! Círdan! And he became the captain and herald of Gilgalad. Yeah, well, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty high position, position yeah. to have. Yeah. The herald of the high king. Hell yeah. So at this point, this is when we get to some events that start happening in Middle-earth as we know it. Because this is after the sinking of Beleriand. This is after the sinking yeah. of Beleriand, yep. So after the sinking of Beleriand, uh, there was a region known as Erigion, and that was sort of the elven realm that was situated at the foot of the Misty Mountains, right? Toward the foot? Yeah, it's between the Misty Mountains and then like the Dunland and the Grey Flood. So it's kind of wedged in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's right on the west side of the Misty Mountains, and it was founded by Noldor refugees in 750 of the Second Age. That's where they kind of settled down. And it was originally governed by Galadriel and Celeborn, but uh, they moved off to Lothlorien in Second Age 1350. And after they moved off in 1350, then Erigion was ruled by Celebrimbor, son of Curufin. Son of Curufin. Yeah, remember, he's uh, he was living in Nargothrond when um, his dad got kicked out. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, he basically disowned his father at that point. Yeah, so he is the grandson of Feanor. Yeah. The last surviving descendant. Well, technically, because... We're not too sure what happened with Tamaglor. Yeah. He could be the last surviving descendant of Feanor. Where is he? But yeah, no, at the end of the first age, Maglor was just wandering along the shore, singing sad, so nobody knows what happened to him. But this also brings us into the whole Rings of Power scheme. This is the point in time <laughs> when the Rings of Power came around. I love how just as, as Keep on Tolkien, we, ref- we always refer to it as the Rings of Power scheme. Because it really was. <laughs> it was just Sauron's scheme. It was a scheme that didn't work. You no. Know. So, yeah, we're not going to get super in, into this uh, whole Ring of Power scheme here because we've touched on it before. But in, uh, S- in Second Age 1695, Sauron gets uh, hella pissed off at Celebrimbor. And he wants the three remaining rings of power that they made. And those yeah. are Narya, Vilya, and Nenya. Yeah, he wants them back. Just give them back. Give them back. Just give them back. So Sauron goes ahead and attacks Irigian and starts what's known as the War of the Elves and Sauron. So, yeah, Sauron attacks Irigian. And Gilgalad sends Elrond to try to sort this shit out in Second Age 1695. 
and it does not go well. Yeah, the invading forces of Sauron are too much for Elrond's forces, and Erigion is completely overrun and destroyed. And Elrond withdraws and goes back north with the remaining Noldor that survived. So they're pretty much refugees once again. Once again, yeah. This is where we get to the founding of a good old Rivendell. So Elrond is now wandering around with a group of survivors from the fall of Erigion. Uh, and they would um, really like somewhere to go. So they settle in a narrow gorge uh, near the River Burinan at the foothills of the Misty Mountains. And they call their new settlement Imladris, which means Deep Valley of the Cleft. Afterwards, people refer to it as Rivendell. Yeah, I like Imladris, though. Imladris. Imladris. And it is also known as Carnegul in, uh, in the Westron tongue. Yeah, to some of those early men that were there. And it's also gotten the title Last Homely House East of the Sea. And Rivendell really became a place for refugees of all wars up until this point. And we've got a nice little excerpt from The Lord of the Rings. This is actually from The Hobbit. So we've got, <laughs> so we've got a nice excerpt from The Hobbit to back that up. <laughs> His house was perfect. Whether you liked food or sleep or work or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all, evil things did not come into that valley. Yeah, Rivendell... If I could visit any place in uh, in Middle Earth, that's definitely one of the places I'd want to go. Right? Yeah. Just that that uh, the reason I chose that excerpt is because like that sounds like the coolest shit ever, dude. Like you want to eat, cool. You want to sleep, cool. You want to work on some cool shit, cool. You want to hear some really old people tell you stories, cool. You want to sing, sing. You know what I mean? Or just want to sit there and think. Yeah. It's it's best for all of these things, and no evil comes there at all. It sounds awesome. So a few years after the founding of Rivendell, it's actually besieged by Sauron. Oh, really? Unfortunately, Sauron's forces are driven back by the forces of Gilgalad and Círdan and the new Minorians. Yeah, and they're under Tar-Minister at this time, if you guys are really into your kings of Númenor, yeah! (laughs) Into your Númenorian history. Yeah, so in 1701 of the Second Age, Sauron retreats back into Mordor. And dealing with all these Sauron problems, Elrond decided to take some initiative, being a wise guy. A wise guy. He's a real wise guy. He's a real wise guy. Real wise guy. Elrond, being a wise guy, decided it might be a good idea to start some sort of like a, I would call it a task force, to deal with the Sauron problem. Sort of a council. And this is where we get the first white council, because there are multiple. It's also known as Council of the Wise. So this first White Council was comprised of leaders of all of the different elven groups that were still residing in Middle-earth. Later in the Third Age, when we get the second White Council, that's when it, the more famous one that most everyone thinks of when they think of it. That's the one that has the wizards. Right, yeah. But we'll get there, guys. We'll get there. But in this first one, uh, like we said, it had the elven leaders for the time. So it included Gilgalad. He was kind of the leader of the council. Included Galadriel. And of course, our man Elrond. And Círdan, the ship right. Yeah, buddy. Of course. And presumably mo- uh, others uh, among the wise. So that first white council ultimately decided two things. It decided Elrond's home in Rivendell is chosen as the last stronghold against Sauron west of the Misty Mountains. So they kind of know that that's their last stronghold in that direction. And uh, secondly, they also decided that the three elven rings of power should and will remain hidden. Yeah, they knew that as long as Sauron wore the One Ring, they could not use them because he could then uh, control them, which is no good. Right, yeah, he'd be aware of them. 
Accounts vary, but according to one, uh, this is when Gilgalad also gives the ring Vilya to Elrond. But uh, most of their accounts say that Gilgalad, uh, he was given it at uh, upon Gilgalad's death at the end of the Second Age. Right, because as we know, Elrond uh, ends up being the bearer for Vilya, but it was originally Gilgalad's ring. Mm-hmm. Just kind of varies on when it passes to Elrond. So while Galadriel and Celeborn are in Rivendell for the council, they bring with them their daughter, Celebrian. And Elrond meets her and falls in love. But he keeps it to himself. He doesn't say anything to anybody because he's got a lot on his mind because what's about to happen, Joel? Yeah, look at what's coming up here. There's a lot building up. We get now to the last alliance. Yeah, in the late Second Age, High King Gilgalad and High King Elendil decide that they're totally done with Sauron's bullshit. And they may have driven him back to Mordor, but I mean, he's still a little piece of shit. So they decide it's time to deal with him once and for all, and they're going to take him out for good. And both Gilgalad and Elendil spend a whole two years gathering their forces. Uh, They meet at Amun-Sul, and then they head to Rivendell. And the armies spend a whole three years in Rivendell, making preparations of all kinds. Yeah, they're training their troops, they're forging weapons, making battle plans. Uh, This is also when Rivendell gets known as the Great Forge because of all the things that they're forging at the time. And uh, so they're there for three years, and they set out from Rivendell in the year 3434 of the Second Age. And this is also when Isildur leaves his youngest son, Valandil, back in Rivendell. And that's more or less how the line of Elendil survives at this point. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, Valandil's Aragorn's uh, his ancestor. Yeah, because uh, if Elendil had gone with Isildur, he also would have been killed. Yeah, because his three eldest sons were killed. But we'll, t- we'll talk about that in here a little bit in a second here. So, like we've mentioned multiple times before, uh, we're going to be devoting an entire episode to this last alliance because we really want to make sure we cover that thoroughly. It's a really big event and it's really cool. Uh, so we're not going to get too deep into it here, but uh, we're going to touch on some of the aftermaths, or excuse me, we're going to touch on some of the aftermath as it pertains to our friend Elrond. So in the war, Gilgalad, or, uh, Elrond fights as Gilgalad's captain and herald. He fights in the Battle of Daggerlad, the Siege of Baradur, and the Siege of Baradur. Uh, in the final battle, Elendil and, Galad, and uh, Gilgalad defeat Sauron in combat, and they are bo- but they are both slain. For a second there, I just imagined Elendil and Galadriel fighting Sauron. Yeah, hell yeah, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> that would be pretty badass. I imagine that'd be a hell of a fight. In place of a dark lord, you would have a queen! <laughs> So this is uh, when Isildur uses the hilt shard of Narsil to cut the one ring from Sauron's hand. Because as we kind of clarified this amongst ourselves recently, me and Danny, that basically Sauron was kind of already down on the ground when Isildur came up. Yeah, because in the movie they make it... Because the movie's so immortal right now. Now it's hard to separate the two. But in the movie, he's kind of like grabbing, and yeah. then Isildur kind of like la- swings, like up, swings and up and cuts, cuts off his, yeah, all, all, of his all his fingers, which is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's already down. Is is um, Elendil and Gilgalad had made sure of that, and he's already defeated essentially. But uh, Isildur comes up to make it final. Yeah, basically Elrond, or excuse me, Elendil and Gilgalad and Sauron are fighting. Elon, El- Elendil and Gilgalad die, and Sauron is more or less defeated. They kind of all defeat each other right there. Yeah, exactly. And then Isildur crawls up and uses a hilt charge to just kind of take that ring at the last second. It's like the end of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> 
And uh, so using the sh- the shards of Narsil to cut the ring from Sauron's hand, that pretty much destroys Sauron's physical form, taking the ring from him. And like we mentioned earlier, this is when uh, many accounts say that Elrond receives the Elven Ring Vilya. Yeah, when Gilgalad dies. When Gilgalad yeah. is slain. So many, 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 many lives are lost. Uh, of the Elven commanders, only Elrond and, Elrond and Círdan survive. Yeah, and when Elrond and Círdan hear that Isildur has now claimed the One Ring for his own, they immediately counsel him to, just, to destroy it, because they understand what that means. You keep the ring around, it basically means you're keeping Sauron around. So they try to counsel him to get rid of it, and naturally, as we know, Isildur refuses, and he claims the ring as a guild for his father and his brother. Yeah, and uh, Elrond and Círdan can't really argue with that. I mean... <laughs> You're looking at a guy that just lost his whole family, and like he wants to take a trophy. Yeah, like this is my trophy in exchange for my family members. Yeah. So who are you to say, right? Yeah. Ultimately, Elrond does accept his claim, taking the ring. But uh, you probably didn't totally realize the nature of the ring and the implications. So now we get to the third age, right? Second age ends with the downfall of Sauron, and after the war. Elrond returns to Imladris, and uh, he continues to do Elrondi loremaster stuff. Yeah, this is when Elrond really solidifies his position as a loremaster. Yeah. And finally, in Third Age 109, Elrond and Calabrian are married. Hooray. And in the year 130, Calabrian gives birth to twin sons, Eladan and Elrohir. Yeah. Cool things to know about Eladan and Elrohir. They grow up to be very badass warriors. Yeah, they're they're a super awesome pair. And they also roll deep with the Dunedain Rangers in the north. Yeah, they're they're like one of some of Aragorn's best friends, too, growing up. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. We've actually got a excerpt from The Return of the King. So much alike were they, the sons of Elrond, that few could tell them apart. Dark-haired, gray-eyed, and their faces elven-fair, clad alike in bright mail beneath cloaks of silver-gray. So I wonder if that's meaning to say that they were identical twins. Stands to reason. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Elrond and Elro, or uh, excuse me, Eladon and Elro here. Super cool characters. We like them. They were totally shafted by the movie Shafted. Shafted. Refer to the Shafted episode. Yeah, Shafted. And then 11 years later, after their birth, that is when we get the birth of Arwen Undomniel in the year 241. So he's, they're 140 years older than her? That's crazy. Could you imagine having a gap like that in your siblings? Joel's got a lot of siblings, but your oldest and youngest are what? What's How many years apart are your oldest and youngest? Oldest and youngest? Oh, God. Uh, my oldest sister, Christine, she is in her mid-30s now. I'm sorry. I love you. And uh, Andrew, my youngest brother, is, I want to say he's turning 20. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. So, Shit. yeah, there's about 15 years there. Dang. Yeah, not 130, that's no, for sure. No, <laughs> no, no, that's that's a pretty crazy gap. Yeah. But we're talking about elves. Yeah. Joel's family's really nice, a lot of them. Thanks. Yeah, I like a lot of your family. I love you, Mom. Yeah, if you guys are listening, know, uh, you know, you guys are cool. Yeah, we've had Claire on. Yeah, you guys have met my sister. Yeah, you guys know Claire. Yeah, she was on our uh, Women in Tolkien episode. So you guys have met one of my sisters. Yeah, she's great. Christine is really good at baking things. Yeah, she is. She's a really good cook. Yeah, she's good at cooking and baking. She's always making us treats when we're over there working on our car and stuff. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about a period uh, known as the Watchful Peace. Uh, this is a period in the Third Age, um, which there was a relative peace from, from war with Sauron. 
Yeah, so up until this point, Sauron and his Nazgul were totally fucking up and attacking Arnor and Gondor incessantly. And in uh, Third Age 2060, Gandalf and Elrond, they suspect that this growing evil that is coming from uh, from the Greenwood, and is now known as Mirkwood, and at a place called Dol Guldur, they suspect that this might be Sauron, actually. Yeah, it might be him coming back again. So Gandalf goes to investigate Dol Guldur, as we know. Uh, Sauron flees this area of Middle-earth, and he goes out east, and uh, the Nazgul retreat to Minas Morgul. And in Third Age, 2063, this is when the period that we were just talking about, the Watchful Peace, begins. Yeah, there is uh, even some relative peace in the North Kingdom. Yeah, and this is when the 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 uh, the hobbits start to have ont- uh, autonomy in the region. They had moved there in, uh, what is it, Third Age, uh, 1601, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But by the time of the Watchful Peace, they're starting, because the North Kingdom has fallen, so they're starting to, like, the Shire's starting to become a thing now. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the watchful peace comes to an end in the year 2460 when Sauron returns to Middle-earth and again sets up shop over in Dol Guldur. And this is when he gets known to be the necromancer. Yep, and uh, attacks on Gondor and the Dunedain of the North resume. Yeah, one tall tale sign that Sauron's back. Yeah. God, Jesus, there's a lot of orcs around lately. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder who could be doing that. Yeah, I wonder who's behind this. So this obvious resurgence of Sauron once again prompts uh, the second White Council that we referenced earlier. And this one is uh, called by Lady Galadriel. And uh, she calls for them to reform the White Council in Third Age 2463. And this is specifically to deal with the threat in Dol Guldur. Elrond is one of the main members of this council as well. Sauron was chosen as the head of the council, which was against the wishes of Galadriel, but they probably had some kind of a vote on it. Yeah, because what the fuck does Galadriel know, right? Right, yeah. She's she's just like the oldest and wisest among us. Right. So the second White Council is held in Rivendell in Imladris, and this one included members Elrond, Gandalf, Sauron, Galadriel, and our good pal Glorfindel. Yeah. And also Radagast the Brown. Oh, he was part of this one? Yeah. And uh, also Círdan the motherfucking shipwright. Goddamn right. I mean, why wouldn't you have Círdan there? Of course Círdan is there. So in the year 2851, the council meets again to decide what to do about Gandalf's recent discovery that the necromancer is indeed Sauron. So between these two meetings, Gandalf goes to Dol Guldur and he figures out that it is Sauron. So when they meet again, they're like, what are we going to do about this? Yeah, and that's the when uh, part of the quest for Erebor is, that's well, that's part of it when he finds Thrain, right? Mm-hmm. When he goes back the second time? Yep, that's when he finds Thrain. That's when he finds out that uh, the ring was taken from Thrain. Yeah, but that's also Sauron's got it again, yeah. Even though the, the ring was taken from him, this is also when he gets the map and the key from yeah. Thrain. Somehow the, Sauron wasn't interested in that. Yeah, he wasn't. He only wanted or, the ring, I guess. Or he hit him deep up in his butt. That's right. <laughs> Thrain had the map and key right up his butt. For when I immediately came. thought of that when I was like, he took the ring, but he didn't take the map or the key? Where did he hide those? Way up your butt. You gotta, gotta put them way up in your butt. So at the second council, Elrond and the others wanted to move and strike on Dogledur, but they were ultimately dissuaded by Sauron. And at this juncture, Saruman had been uh, studying up on the ring and Sauron quite a bit. And he had learned that Sauron was looking for the one ring in the Gladden Fields. He didn't tell the council this. Because why? Saruman himself was trying to lay hands on the ring. 
Yeah, this is when Saruman basically started splitting off and trying to do his own thing, basically. And the council meets again in uh, Third Age 2941. And this time, Sauron um, agrees to attack Dol Guldur. But this is for ulterior motives. He only does this to hinder Sauron from getting the ring, because he's trying to get it first. (laughs) Yeah, the only reason he agrees is because he just doesn't want Sauron to get it. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of deal. Yeah, Yeah. he's keeping that hidden, though. Yeah, it's all it's all slippery, slimy, hidden. But for now, Sauron is driven out of Dogledor, and this is when he flees to Mordor. But uh, as we've learned previously, uh, he was actually prepared for this move, and he openly declares himself in Mordor ten years later, and he begins to gather his strength again for his final assault on Middle-earth. And the council meets one last time in Third Age 2953. At this meeting, Saruman declares for whatever reason, that the One Ring has been... He's like, oh, let's not worry about it. It's been taken out to the sea, guys. The, r- <laughs> the ring is gone. Don't don't you worry about it. Yeah, I think this is also when Gandalf starts becoming very suspicious. Yeah, like, he's acting awful funny. And uh, so after this, after he's like, yep, don't worry about it. Uh, it's all taken out to the sea. I'm just going to go back to Isengard now and um, uh, breed orcs and shit like that. Yeah, don't pay attention. Yeah, after after the uh, last pay no, meeting. <laughs> pay no mind, sirs. Pay no mind. After this last meeting, this is when uh, Saruman goes and fortifies himself in Isengard and starts to build up all his forces. So we're going to do a little bit of a we got to do a little bit of a backtrack here because we wanted to explain about the White Council, but something sh- shitty happens to Elrond in between the White Council meetings. So form, uh, shortly after the formation and first meeting of the second White Council, Elrond and his family experienced tragedy. In the year 2905 of the Third Age is when Elrond's wife, Calibrian, is assailed by orcs as she crossed the Misty Mountains in the Redhorn Pass on her way over to visit family in Lorien. Yeah, because she's Galadriel's daughter. She's Galadriel's daughter, yeah. So she travels over the Misty Mountains to go visit family. And she is captured and tormented by orcs for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, they make it seem like this was some pretty terrible torture and torment. Yeah. Like, she got seriously fucked up by this. She also received a uh, poisoned wound while she was being tormented by the orcs. So, her sons and her, you know, her husband, Elrond, and Elodin and Elro here, they come to rescue her. Elrond eventually heals the wound as best as he can, but uh, she would uh, never fully heal in mind or body. Yeah, she was, like we said, she got pretty fucked up by those orcs. They were pretty ruthless. She didn't ultimately die, but she wasn't going to heal from what happened. And she couldn't bear to live in Middle-earth any longer. And she sailed for Valinor in the very next year. Which is something that often happens with the elves. Yeah, they give up and they... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, when the elves would oftentimes experience something that would be like almost deadly or terminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to sail over into Valinor, it like heals you of your hurts and it's kind of like yeah. going to heaven for a little bit. It's essentially the biggest, screw you guys, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> We've actually got an excerpt about her leaving and sailing for Valinor. She was brought back to Imladris, and though healed in body by Elrond, lost all delight in Middle-earth. In the next year, she went to the Havens and passed over the sea. Yeah, and that's from Appendix A of The Return of the King. Yeah, so this whole thing really, really pisses off Elodan and Elrond here. Oh, yeah. The orcs didn't kill their mother, but, I mean, he basically lost... They they, they lost their mother because of the orcs, mm-hmm. and they seriously fucked her up. So after this, they go on basically a never-ending vendetta against the orcs. 
Yeah, they go all around the north, um, killing as many orcs as they can, um, and making friends with anyone who else, anyone else who likes to kill orcs as much as they do. Which is why they end up becoming very close friends with the Dunedain Rangers of the Old North Kingdom. Yeah, Dunedain Rangers. What an awesome team up, though. The Dunedain Rangers yeah. and these, these couple of, of uh, super hardy elves. Hell yeah. So after that familial tragedy, Elrond, he uh, continues to do his Elrond thing in Rivendell. But uh, Elrond was also um, known to be a friend of the Dunedain of the North. After all, he knew uh, Elendil and Isildur and all those guys. Right. Yeah, Elrond became known as uh, a good friend of the Dunedain of the North. Yeah, and as we already learned in the Second Age with Belandil, Imladris was a place of safekeeping for the heirs of the Dunedain. Yeah, a lot of the heirs ended up staying in Rivendell as they grew up, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Valandiel stayed in Rivendell, famously, after, uh, during the Last Alliance. The Dunedain also sent some of their heirlooms back to Rivendell. Uh, for example, after the disaster of the Gladden Fields, where Isildur and uh, three of his eldest sons were slain, Elendil, or excuse me, Isildur made sure that he sent uh, his esquire back to Rivendell with the shards of Narsil, and presumably the Ring of Bearer here. Because that continues to go on. And that Esquire's name is like Otar or something like that, like that, right? I honestly don't know. The I think name it's of like O H T A R, something like that. Okay. Uh, anyway, so that guy, he brings, yeah, he brings him back. It's it's said that many of the heirs are harbored there, but really we only know about Valandiel and, of course, Aragorn. Right. Yeah, the only ones that we know explicitly about. It's more or less implied that uh, the heirs stayed there. Because, I mean, there are many heirs between Valandil and Aragorn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's 16 chieftains of the Dunedain, and then there's, like, I think, like, tw- uh, like 12 kings of Arnor or something. Yeah, it's a, it's a long, a long. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a long line of folks. But uh, most famous being, like we said, Aragorn. And Aragorn was brought there by his mother, Gilrian, after the death of his father, Arathorn II. He was killed in battle. Yeah, he was actually killed in battle, rolling with who? The sons of Elrond. Elodan and El were here. And this is when the heirlooms of the North Kingdom were given into Elrond's care. That being the Ring of Bear here went back into Elrond's care again, the Shards of Narsil, and the Scepter of Anuminas. And Aragorn, as a child, was named Estel by Elrond, and this means hope. Because he saw um, that this kid would have a rough life ahead of him. <laughs> yeah, consider this one of uh, Elrond's foresight moments. Yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely knew that Aragorn had some shit that he was going to have to do when he got older. Because the, ki- the high king of... So he's the high king, the rightful high king, right? He's Sauron's greatest enemy, essentially. Basically, yeah. Yeah, so he's going to be hunted for his whole fucking life. Mm-hmm. And he knows that it's going to be a long road, so he names him Hope. How appropriate. Elrond didn't tell Aragorn of his true heritage during his childhood. He waited until Aragorn was 21 years old to give him the heirlooms of his house and explain his heritage to him. Hell of a 21st birthday. Yeah, no kidding. That's a lot to take in on your birthday. I wish I could remember my 21st birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Although Aragorn did not get the scepter of Anuminas on his 21st birthday, that Elrond withheld from him until he was to come into his right as king. And it's also around this time that Aragorn meets Elrond's daughter, Arwen. 
And they quickly fall in love. Yeah, they say that rekindled in Aragorn and Arwen is that uh, same kind of love like between Baron and Luthien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he in the in the uh, appendix where they talk about when Arwen meets Aragorn. We talked about this in the Aragorn episode a little bit. She's like uh, singing, and he goes and he calls out to her Tenuviel, Tenuviel, like Luthien. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were Luthien. I thought you were Luthien of old. Yeah, real slick, slick. Aragorn's slick as fuck." But this kind of leads us more more or less right up into the beginning of the War of the Ring. The War of the Ring was really sparked by the event that we all know as the quest for Erebor or the Hobbit. Yeah, that was kind of the uh the the uh lighting the fuse. It's kind of the catalyst yeah. for everything. Yeah, in the year 2941, that's when Elrond uh, gets to meet the company of Thorin, Thorin and Company, on their way over to reclaim the Lonely Mountain. Elrond reads the moon writing on Thorin's map um, that we talked about. Wait, we didn't even mean to mention that. And we did earlier in the episode. The map yeah. that, wow. Yeah. The God, map this that... is all coming together, guys. <laughs> it's like this is all like a super intricate connected uh, a legendarium Story. or something. Yeah, it's crazy. It's almost like somebody made it this way. <laughs> Yeah, that map and key that uh, Gandalf got earlier, this is when it finally comes into play. This is when Elrond reads those moon runes on the map, and they find out what the key's all about. And the uh, moon runes on the map tell them how to get inside the secret door to Erebor. Get in that back door. Get in the back door. The quest ultimately leads to two major events that will set the stage for the War of the Ring. The first being the finding of the ring in Gollum's cave. You couldn't have the War of the Ring without finding the ring. And also the Battle of the Five Armies, which is kind of like a, a, a proto-War of the Ring battle, sort of. Yeah. So later on down the line, as we as we know from the events of the Fellowship of the Ring, Elrond is instrumental in helping save the life of Frodo Baggins. After his injury that he got on Weathertop and after the flight to the Forge Burin. Yeah, Elrond does something pretty cool uh, during the flight of the Ford to Beruinen. As Frodo and uh, Glorfindel confront the Nazgul on the Ford of Beruinen, Elrond releases a torrent of water that sweeps away the Nazgul. Yeah, Gandalf also helped, and he added some white riders on top of white horses into the into the big wave that came down. But ultimately, uh, Gandalf actually says that uh, Elrond commands the river. Uh, we're not really sure if that has anything to do with the power of Vilya, but it might. Hmm, that is something to consider. I never thought about that. Yeah. We always forget that the cool shit that Elrond can do is just only amplified by his ring. Right. Yeah. So Elrond also uses his healing skills or magic. Nobody knows which it is. Uh, he uses his skill for healing to help heal Frodo's Morgul wound. His ring, Vilya, also only amplifies his, his help in this problem. Yeah, because the power of Vilya is actually the power to heal and preserve things. Which is perfect. Exactly what he needs. And he is also uh, aided by the help of Gandalf with his ring, Narya, which holds the power to inspire people to resist evil and tyranny. Perfect team-up. Yeah, perfect team-up, especially when you're fighting the Black Breath, right? Right. Yeah, it's kind of like in Resident Evil when you mix the green and the red herb together and you get like the super herb. Is that the white herb? (laughs) I can't remember. But it makes some kind of, you can craft it, I remember. Gotcha. But yeah, it creates a greater effect because of the two things together. Gotcha. So after uh, Frodo is healed, that's when we get to this major event that we've talked about before, the Council of Elrond. Yeah, so they wait for Frodo to recover from his wound somewhat, at least so he can sit up and talk and shit. Yeah. 
Um, but Elrond calls immediately calls a great council. And although nobody uh, actually coming knows it, the meeting will be about the One Ring. Yeah, the like we met, like we explained in the uh, Council of Elrond episode that we did. Oh God, that episode so yeah. good! I fucking love the Council of Elrond. Episodes. Yeah, refer back to that, guys. That was in our season two. Um, but uh, as we explained in that episode, the people going to the council didn't really know what it was about because the Council of Elrond was very impromptu. It just so happened that all the people that were there just sort of happened to show up in Rivendell around the same yeah, time. Yeah, because a lot of things were going on at the same time. Yeah, a lot of things in the help, world. Yeah. And they wanted help, and Elrond's like, well, let's sit everyone down and explain to everyone how all these events are related, because pretty much all the events were related, and then together everyone can decide what to do about this one big problem, and that is Sauron and the Ring. Yeah, so he basically at the council, they talk about explicitly about how the One Ring has been found, that it is here with them in Rivendell, and what the fuck they're going to do. I love that. Must have been such a, an anvil to drop on those people, just like. Right. Some people don't even know what the fuck this is about yeah. because they had to explain the story of the rings to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boromir's there because he's like, me and my brother had a dream. So I thought I'd come up here and, <laughs> and and then he's just like, oh yeah, by the way, the one ring has been found. Not only has it been found, it's here with us and we have to do something about it. It's just these three things that come crashing down on and you. Gloin's just there because he's like, oh yeah, we lost word from our cousin Balin and there was this black rider that showed up asking about Bilbo. So we wanted yeah. to warn Bilbo. And we, we thought that was kind of strange. So. And then Elrond's <laughs> like, yeah, well, here's all this other shit that's going on too. Guess what? Yeah. It's a big deal. So there are many things that are discussed at the council. Uh, the book doesn't even cover all of that as discussed. Yeah, it's literally like, and then they talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, I think it begins with a disclaimer yeah. that they're not going to, that the chapter isn't going to go over all the stuff that they cover. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I kind of want to know what those other things are. I, I so They say they talk to. about stuff that happened like South and East, and I just want to know that, that history too. I just wish I had a transcript of the Council of Elrond. I'd read that every day. <laughs> before I went to bed. Yeah, like we said, if you want anything else or any more information about the Council of Elrond, refer back to our uh, Council of Elrond episode. Yeah, two parts. And I think, what didn't we say, listening to the two parts, uh, two episodes, is it'll take you about as long to read the section itself? Yeah, the section, if you were to like <laughs> listen to the audiobook chapter of the Council of Elrond, it would take as long or longer to listen to the chapter on audiobook as it would to actually go through our, our, two our, episodes. our discussion. <laughs> There's like we said. There's a lot. There's a very, lot. Very, very dense. Yes. It's nerd porn, though. That's what we like to say about the Council of Elrond. It's totally nerd porn. But yes, the Council. Let's get back to it. Who are who's at the Council, Joel? Yeah. So let's at least name off the people who are there. Uh, so the people at the Council were known to be Gandalf, Elrond, Aristor, Boromir, Gimli. And Gimli's father, Gloin. Legolas of the Greenwood. Frodo. Aragorn of the Dunedain. Galdor of the Havens coming from, of course... Cyrdan. Cyrdan, the motherfucking ship, right? Uh, and we've got Bilbo Baggins. And, of course, the resident badass of Rivendell, Glorfindel. Glorfindel's a shit. Yes, he is. So, as we know, the council ultimately decides to attempt to destroy the ring rather than... What they talk about giving it to Bombadil, throwing it in the sea, using it. Yeah, there's a. (laughs) I don't know who stands up and is like, let's throw it in the ocean. (laughs) Wasn't that Galdor? It might have been been Galdor. I'm not sure. I'd have to verify that. We got to go back and listen to those episodes ourselves. But yeah, like we know, they ultimately decide that we've got to deal with this once and for all. It's got to be 
very final. We're going to have to destroy the ring. And this is when Elrond uh, selects, also helps select people to go on the journey. And this is when we get the Fellowship. The Fellowship isn't actually decided at the Council. It's kind of after the Council. Yeah, it's in the next chapter. The ring goes south. So let's uh, let's recap in case you're... Honestly, if you're listening and you don't know the Fellowship of the Ring... <laughs> if you don't know the what members are you doing of the here? Fellowship... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go back and... No, go back to episode... I don't know what episode. Go back and either read the books or watch the movie. Yeah. Either way. But, it, I mean, it's cool if you're listening. Anyway. <laughs> just ragging on just people listening. Keep listening, too. You know Please. what I'm saying? So the members of the, of the Fellowship were Gandalf, Aragorn, Boromir, Gimli... Legolas, Frodo, Sam, Pippin, and Merry. And Elrond specifically states that he likes this number, nine, because it matches the nine Nazgul. And that's actually something that I only learned uh, relatively recently. That was during, I think during season two you learned that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was a huge revelation for me. Yeah. So we've got a uh, quote from Elrond in the Fellowship of the Ring at the end of this chapter uh, that kind of backs this up. The company of the ring shall be nine, and the nine walkers shall be set against the nine riders that are evil. Yeah. I like how it's nine walkers versus riders. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race, I guess. (laughs) So after the fellowship leaves Rivendell, Elrond more or less just kind of stays there till the end of the War of the Ring and just kind of holds down the fort. But he did do a few things from afar to contribute to the War on the Ring. For instance, he uh, sent 100 elves to the Battle of Helm's Deep. Ha 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 ha! No, no, he didn't. Just kidding. That shit never happened. That's totally false. He didn't send shit. That was that was all men. That was all. Yeah, it was just the movie, guys. Shafted. Shafted. I was just start doing this. Shafted. Shafted. Yeah, no, he didn't send any elves to the Battle of Helm's Deep. Just kidding. That was my joke. In the yeah, in the in the movie, they say <laughs> it makes even less sense because in the movie they're elves yeah. from Lothlorien. Yeah, and he's like, I come from Elrond of Rivendell. And they're, they're like, like, what? No, this makes even less. You know sense. why? Because they just you know who they ultimately shafted. Because if if Elrond sent troops. Who would be showing up, Joel? Elodan and Elmer here. Not only them, even cooler. Glorfindel? Glorfindel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Glorfindel would be really awesome. So those elves don't get sent. Sorry, guys. That was a joke. I did that to make Joel laugh in the outline, and we kept it in. (laughs) Elrond does actually send his sons Elodan and Elmer here to the aid of Aragorn, however. He does. Yeah, after the Battle of Helm's Deep, uh, I think this is... When Aragorn is about to go take the paths of the dead. It is. Yeah. So he he musters a small group of Dune. I think there's like 30 of them. Elodan and, and Elrohir? here. El- yeah, El- yes. They, being Elrodan and Elrohir, here, they, uh, they go up north and they muster the group of Dune and they ride to meet Aragorn. And they advise Aragorn to take the paths of the dead. So they're the ones that advise him to do that. Yeah, from like by way of Elrond. Yeah, you know. Oh, gotcha. Uh, I think Galadriel's the one that says, isn't it? She's like, remember the the Grey Company rides from the north, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. That might have been one of uh, Galadriel's uh, foresights. Yeah. So they ride with him through the Paths of the Dead and through Southern Gondor. They uh, fight in the Battle of the Corsairs and the Battle of Pelennor Fields. And also very important, they were part of the Captains of the West, uh, which was this meeting that of all the surviving uh, leaders of the people after the Battle of Minas Tirith and Pelennor Fields. They got together and they're like, what's our next step? And uh, the Sons of Elrond were present. And they agreed with Gandalf's plan to lead an assault on the Black Gate, saying it was their father's counsel as well. And here's a little snippet from The Return of the King, from the chapter The Last Debate. Then, said Elrohir, 
From the north we came with this purpose, and from Elrond, our father, we brought this very counsel. We will not turn back. Very definitive. Yeah. <laughs> very final. <laughs> yeah, they're like, should we, Gandalf's like, should we do this crazy plan? And they're like, yes. Yeah, not only yes, but we came down here to do this in the first place. It's kind of like we're going to do it with the, without you anyway. Yeah, they're like, that's what we were planning to do. I don't know about you guys. Who's coming with me? What say you? What say you? So as we all know how the War of the Ring turns out, um, Sauron is diminished. And uh, Elrond can now finally, after all that, leave Rivendell for the first time in a long time. Yeah, this is when Elrond, for the first time in a while, goes out and travels. And he travels to Minas Tirith. And he does two significant things while he's there. Uh, he gives the Aragorn the scepter of Enuminas, because like we mentioned earlier, he withheld that on his 21st birthday. He gave Aragorn a bunch of his other stuff, but he didn't give him the scepter, because he was holding that for when he was going to become king. But this, I'm keeping this. That's kind of like if your parents uh, catch you with weed and they give you the bag back with no weed in it. <laughs> it's not like they're going to give that to you later. <laughs> and the second significant thing he does is he gives Aragorn his daughter, Arwen's hand in marriage. And that's when he basically gives them their blessing and says, go ahead. Yeah, and he when he does give Aragorn his daughter, Arwen's hand, it's kind of funny because if you read the uh, the chapter I was talking about earlier in the appendix, um, he actually basically says to Aragorn, like, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, but she deserves no less than the High King of the Dunedain. <laughs> so he's basically like, until you're the High King of the Dunedain, you can't marry my daughter. Nice. And so here there's, we are. Uh, there's a lot of motivation. The yeah. scepter, his daughter. But yeah, here's a little excerpt about uh, Aragorn, or excuse me, Elrond during uh, the coronation of Aragorn. And last came Master Elrond, mighty among elves and men, bearing the scepter of Anuminas, and beside him, upon a gray palfrey, rode Arwen, his daughter, even star of her people. Yeah, yeah. After the coronation of Aragorn as King Elessar Telkontar, the Invinyatar. He's got so many names. He's got a lot of titles. <laughs> uh, Elrond returns to Rivendell. Why not? Goes home. And we don't really hear from him uh, until the very end of the book. In fact, the last chapter, The Grey Havens. Come sail away. Come sail away. Come sail away with me. <laughs> Says that on the owl. <laughs> So on September 29th in the year 3021 is when Elrond and the other ring bearers all sail away for Valinor from the Grey Havens. Except Sam. Except Sam, that's right, because Sam was a bearer, but he didn't leave. He left later. I think we determined he left later with Círdan, didn't he? Yeah. Or we suspect he did. Yeah. It, unfortunately, we will never do an episode about Samwise Gamgee, so... Never. Not here. Yeah, I don't know how we'll ever learn more about it. God, I wonder... So we've got one final excerpt about Elrond uh, at that scene where they leave the Grey Havens. Um, I actually cried in a bathtub to that scene on audiobook one time. <laughs> it was fun. Very sad. It's very touching. <laughs> okay, here's the excerpt. <laughs> Elrond wore a mantle of grey and had a star upon his forehead, and a silver harp was in his hand, and upon his finger was a ring of gold with a great blue stone. Vilia, mightiest of the three. I actually didn't know that Vilia was the mightiest of the three. Yeah, man. That's really cool. That's why Gilgalad kept that one, yeah. Oh, straight yeah. up. Yeah, you yeah. know the king would want to keep that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that is uh, Elrond looking fresh to death, apparently, on the day that he 
leaves <laughs> Middle Earth. Looking real good. It's just funny. He comes with a harp in his hand. Yeah, he's just like, it's time, guys. Hugo Weaving didn't have a harp in his hand. Oh, hell no. Although it was the only scene in the whole fucking trilogy where he smiled. Yeah, uh, Hugo Weaving never fucking smiled. Yeah, let's, yeah. You look, okay. Elrond this, was a much happier character. This is the end of the episode. Let's talk about Hugo Weaving for like 30 seconds. It's not okay. in the outline, okay. but let's do it. Okay. So Hugo Weaving is a great actor, right? But I do not like his Elrond that much. First of all, he looks too old. Yeah. He's got a receding hairline. Mm-hmm. And he's way too stern. I was actually, as I was writing this episode, I was looking through the, I was doing the, the thing on my Kindle where I was looking at all the things that have to do with Elrond. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it kept saying Elrond laughed, Elrond smiled. And I was like, yeah. reading that and I was like, <laughs> you know, this doesn't, Hugo, rem- this doesn't sound like Hugo Weaving. This doesn't remind me anything of Hugo Weaving's character of yeah. Elrond. Like, yeah, he's just, he's always scowling and yeah, Elrond's Yeah, happy. he almost always has a scowl yeah. when he does his roles. So that yeah, that's our piece about Hugo Weaving. Let's get uh, to we our like him, but yeah. don't like his Elrond. Yeah, like him, but don't like his Elrond. Um, so let's get to our favorite favorite segment. What did we learn on the show today? Da-da-da-da. What did we learn today, Danny? Well, of course, we learned about the half elven, and we learned about Elrond's captivity as a child. Elrond's role as captain and herald of Gilgalad. We learned about the founding of Rivendell. We learned about Elrond's role in the Last Alliance. Elrond's marriage to Celebrian. We learned about the White Council, both of them, in fact. And we learned, <laughs> we learned about Elrond's role in the Quest of Erebor and, of course, the War of the Ring. We learned about the Council of Elrond, the Sons of Elrond, Elodan and Elrohir, and how badass they are. And finally, we talked about Elrond's final departure from Middle-earth and how fly he was that day. How fly he was. <laughs> Harp in hand. And that's pretty much all we got for the Elrond episode for you guys. Uh, hopefully you liked it. Hopefully you didn't hate it. And we're really sorry that it was two weeks late. Sorry about that, guys. Hopefully this made up for the uh, the wait. Yeah. And also check out that uh, that Patreon sampler we, we threw up the other day. We did that as kind of a we're sorry for fucking up. So <laughs> check it out. But also, yeah, follow us on social media. Follow us on the Twitter um, at KOT Podcast. I also have a personal Twitter at Danny J. That's J-A-Y-K-O-T. Um, I'm trying to convince Joel to make his own Twitter, so hopefully we'll see him soon. I've never been a big Twitter person. I'm, I'm more or less on the Facebook. I, I uh, stay, he- stay uh, on the Facebook page most of the time. Twitter wants you on, Joel. People want you on Twitter, man. If I'm wanted on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go ahead and follow us the the Facebook group too. Uh, we've got an Instagram if you're into that. But uh, we've also importantly got a Patreon. Yeah, if you really like us and what we do, um, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/kotpodcast, right? And um, you can um, uh, do a donation. And um, what a Patreon is basically, uh, it's a way for us to get funding to do our thing from you guys, the fans. And uh, every little cent counts. Yeah, every cent really helps us just bring more of a quality product to you because we really like to take the time to make something that we think is worth listening to and it really helps us out a lot. Yeah, and as a thank you for donating, you get access to cool uh, exclusive content. One of the things I think, even if you give like a dollar a month, one of the things we give you access to is our Dropbox essentially. Yeah, you can so see you get like all of, our, all of yeah, our information. All of our episodes, all of our show notes. Uh, season two is all waves. 
which people are going to enjoy. Audio files will enjoy the oh, yeah. wave files. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, even if you give a dollar a dollar a month, you get something kind of cool. Uh, but we also do these uh, the Patreon segments, like the one we did last week, which was uh, yeah, we throw out a little sampler of <laughs> yeah. some of the fun stuff because we do like to do some fun stuff when we say thank you. Uh, a lot of the things that we've done on Patreon are, are just fun little snippets. Most of the times we are a little bit drunk, <laughs> but <laughs> we we like to have fun and we hope you enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, um, so I am and have been and will continue to be Danny J. And I also am and will stay Joel N. And together we are... We are and have been and will be... Keep, keep on, on talking. Aure and Tuluba!